0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. But over the last, uh, the, our, this whole series that we've been on has been a, uh, a series that we've used of Paul Chapels called Real Church, and so that's why it's been Real Prayer and Real Church and Real Fellowship. And we do have a couple left in that Uh, Book to go through. Uh, This does fit right in, even though it's not particularly in the book, but I want to look a little bit about some of the things concerning the church, and namely, as we started last week, we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, but I want to even back up just a, a step further from spiritual gifts today, if you'll give me a second to get my ducks in a row here. You know, something I always like to preach with is peppermints. For years, I have preached with a peppermint in my mouth. Uh, today, it's a Hall's Cough Drop. And I just got one, so i got to stretch it out. But, uh, but it reminds me of a, of a preacher that uh, he, would, uh, he had did kind of an experiment to where basically a peppermint would last roughly 30 minutes at the most. If he just would put it in his mouth, move it around a little bit, and so he would use that as a gauge, as he would preach. You know, he'd put the peppermint in his mouth, and, and then he'd begin to, to preach. And, uh, and then when the peppermint ran out, he would know that his time was up, and so he would wind things down. Well, one day, the pastor made a mistake. He preached for a couple of hours. But what he had done, instead of reaching in his pocket and grabbing a peppermint out, he reached in his pocket and accidentally grabbed a button. And he was sucking on the button and sucking on the button, and of course it never went away. So hopefully that don't happen to us today. At least I'd have an excuse, I guess. But if you would, uh, turn with me, a couple passages I want you to consider with me. Uh, We're going to look in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's where we began last week. And I do want to go there again. But first I want to back up just a little bit here as we think about the church of the living God. And if you would, turn over to just a... Uh, I want to read two verses out of the book of Ephesians. Uh, and then I want to read a verse out of Colossians 1.18. Could I get a volunteer to read uh, Ephesians 1.22? Anybody anywhere? Doria will read Ephesians 1.22. Can I get a volunteer to read Ephesians 5.23? 5.23. Ephesians 5.23. Thank you, Natalie. You'll get Ephesians 5.23. Thank you very much. Uh, then Colossians 1.18, anybody for that one? I don't have another kid that I can just make do it, so, okay, I'll do that, all right, uh, <laughs> so let me get over there, Colossians one eighteen. and Doria, read Ephesians one twenty all right, so I have put all things under this, his feet, oh, here we go, is that up there, 22. Yeah, there we go. So Dory just read it, and we have it up there. there. it is, yeah. Gave him to be the head over all things to the church. All right, and then, Natalie, would you please, and thank you, read 523 of the book of Ephesians. All right, so we see that the example is being given there. That whole section is really about Christ and the church. Uh, but then he's using it to teach an example that we can relate to is with the home is what God does in so many cases, uh, but he, he does it in this case. So Christ is the head of the church, and then, oh yeah, then I had Colossians. I was thinking, who had Colossians? All right, Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18, the Bible says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So where I want to begin today is by talking just a little bit about Jesus Christ being the head of the church. So last week we began to look at spiritual gifts and the church being viewed through the lens of a body. Again, what you see, God's trying to just teach us something. He's trying to, he's trying to use something that we can all relate to to help us have a good understanding of that. And, and we ought to always read the Bible in that way. Uh, God's word is not meant to be uh, you know, a secretive thing to us. He wants us to understand it. And so we can understand the body pretty well. You don't have to be that, I mean, I guess the the, the more you know, maybe the more you can read in and and, and relate, but everybody can understand that the body works together, that the body doesn't fight each other, and that the body needs to have more than just one or two functions, that the body needs hearing and seeing and speaking and, and feeling and hands and feet and just right down uh, the line we go. Uh, each each toe is important. Each finger is important. All of these things that make up the body. And that's what he says the church is. But he says the head of the church. So who is the head of the church? Who is the head of this church? Well, it's none other than Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Now, That's a a wonderful illustration because, of course, we understand that it's the brain that communicates to the rest of the body what the rest of the body needs to do, right? And so Jesus Christ is the one who communicates to the body what the body and how the body should function. Now, that sounds all well and good. The the challenge of that comes into where... I'm glad Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Which means that Jesus is among us today. He is, we we are in the presence of the Lord today. But, Jesus is not going to be standing up here teaching today. Jesus is not going to be in here leading any of the meetings that we may have along the way, right? So, that's, that's the challenging part. He's the head of the body, the church. So every one of us are members of the body, if you're saved by the grace of God. But we need to get our signals from Christ. We need to get communication from Christ. Now, how do we know, uh, how does Christ communicate, if you will, with his body? How How does he send signals to his body, the church? I heard somebody say the word? Absolutely. That's so key. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing, but the Bible says, uh, Peter said, it's said 1st or 2nd Peter, but he said we have a more sure word of prophecy, a more sure word of prophecy. And what he was saying is, rather than the, the speaking from heaven, the prophets that were performing miracles and these other things, he said, no, we have a more sure word of prophecy in the completed Bible. So it's through the Bible that he communicates with the church. Now of course the, the challenging part there is again the Bible is not is no, it's the Bible is no enigma, it's no great puzzle that you know that you've got to put together and figure out. That being said, there's a lot we can learn about the Bible, but we understand that you don't just uh, you don't just go read it once and get it. And we don't we, when we talk about the Bible, we talk about God's word as a whole. So it's not just taking a verse here or there to use to determine what we believe as one of the great challenges of you know the religious world if you will and you know and 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 I wonder if any of you have ever been in that place maybe maybe in your life now maybe in your past to where you as far as your doubt toward the bible might rest in the fact that you know what all these churches have the bible And by churches, they may include Jehovah's Witness and Mormons and whoever else in there. All of you have a Bible, but you all say something different. And you fuss and fight and divide and all that. And and, and then they would try to discredit the Bible based on that. Or discredit what we would have to say based on the Bible uh, because of that. Now, number one, have any of you ever been challenged in that way? You know, and it just, you're trying to talk to them, hey, I'd love for you to come to church, and oh man, and I got a verse I'd love to share with you, or whatever, and they're just like, yeah, you know what, uh, you know, the fact is, I mean, all, all you people have a Bible, and you all say something different, and on down the line, so we all, many of us have encountered that, and if you haven't, you will, if you talk to people about Christ and the church and the Bible, you will encounter that. Uh, so you'll encounter that, and maybe, and I would be interested to know if there's anybody in here that at one time in your life, you may have been that way. Maybe you were just like, I don't get it. Now, and so, but what's one of the best answers, and I guess I'm biased because I think I've got a really good answer for that, but what is, what is one of the best answers when it comes to all these different churches all using the same Bible but all disagree on what it says? Shane? Shane? Okay, that's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Especially, Shane said, one good answer is, I'm not really sure, but I can find out for you. Or I'll try to find out for you. Or I'll look into that. Uh, that's wise. If you get challenged on a question in the Bible, uh, it's one thing, like if you're trying to search the, uh, the database, so to speak. It's like, wait, I know I've got this. Give me a second. And you talk yourself through it. But it's another thing if you just have no clue. Don't try to make something up. You can just say, man, you know what? That's actually a good question i'll i'll try to look into that and see if i can get an answer for you the bible says that we should be ready to give an answer to all men so that's a great answer if you don't know admit you don't know and move on but what, what's a good answer why there, there's all these different religions y'all all use the same bible but you all say something different i'll tell you mine which i think is good and challenge me on it if you don't agree but here's what i generally say the difference between the difference is for a New Testament Bible-believing church, I don't get too hung up on uh, the. I don't get too hung up on Baptists. Now, don't don't draw back on me too hard on that. But here's the thing I'd say about when it comes to Baptists. Number one, I dare say most churches that call themselves Baptist churches, if you just take all the Baptist churches in the world that have Baptist on the sign. I dare say, uh, I hate to say most of them, but there's many of them that aren't functioning in a New Testament way. Um, okay, so just because you have Baptist on the sign don't mean something. And there's churches that don't have Baptist on the sign and don't call themselves Baptists. It's not what you call yourself that makes you what you are. It's what you believe. It's what you believe that identifies whether or not you are a true, and I like using the term New Testament church, there may be other uh, terminology to use in there. Uh, to me, Baptists do themselves a big disservice when they get so hung up on the Baptist thing because I'm telling you, Jesus Christ did not call his church in the first, and the early church didn't say, well, we're a Baptist church. Didn't happen. And so why is it that we get so worked up over that if they didn't? Uh, you know, and, 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 and don't misunderstand me here. I appreciate the heritage, but at, at first it was the way and then it was Christians, and then it was something else, and then it was Waldenses, and, and just on down the line it goes, finally we begin to be called Baptists. And I say we, I'm talking about the New Testament church, a group of people who were preaching the New Testament, therefore was the New Testament church. It was in the Dark Ages. We did not, the, the Catholic church arose out of Rome the the, the the true New Testament church was never a part of the Catholic Church. That's important to know. Uh, I will never check Protestant on a box because uh, being a member of a of a Baptist church or a New Testament church, we never were a part of the Catholic Church. the the, the true New Testament church predates the Catholic Church by you know by like 250 years nearly. Okay, let me get somewhere where it's, where I'm going here, but. The point that I'm just simply trying to make is this, That's, it was around that time when we began to be called Baptists, because it started with Anabaptists, re-baptizers, because uh, the Catholic Church especially, or the Catholic, whatever you want to call it especially, then the Protestants after that, they would baptize infants. That was not a practice of the New Testament Church ever. And why, well, let me ask you this question, why was that never a practice in the New Testament Church? And this is kind of getting to the thing you say, man, if you have you wandered off where in the world are you going? But it's, it's, it's related, Kurt. Okay, Kurt says you have to be saved before you can be baptized, but an infant can't be saved and then baptized because they don't understand. But then my question is, what's Kurt basing that on? They don't know right and wrong, and I heard the Bible. And that's what I'm kind of getting to here. That's the reason. Now, you say, well, Pastor, I was baptized as an infant and I baptized my kids as an infant. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, condemning uh, anything you've done there with your action. I'm just trying to tell you from a scriptural standpoint, the reason we don't baptize infants and the reason that we do re-baptize people who were baptized as infants is because that's what the Bible teaches. But that's when the church, long story short, that's when this church that was holding to these New Testament principles and biblical principles uh, began to be called Baptist. So, and, and that's all well and good, but getting back or back around to my point. So many churches all, all say they believe the Bible, but the main and the, and, and the key difference is this. Not every church, matter of fact, very few churches look at the Bible as, listen to this very key word, S-O-L-E, sole authority for faith and practice. Sole authority for faith and practice. If, if all these churches, the thing you gotta, it's not wrong to say all these churches use the Bible, and all these churches claim to believe the Bible, the difference is for, these ones that teach different stuff, the reason they teach different stuff is they have the Bible, they have the catechism of their founder. By the way, for for us, if you're a New Testament church, the Bible and the catechism of your founder are the same thing, right? Because who's the founder of the church? Jesus Christ. He's the founder of of this church and this type of church. He's the founder. We don't go back to some... Founding father or founding mother or founding group or whatever. You, we don't. We go all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go back to the New Testament in the first century church. So therefore, what happens is the Bible is among the authorities. Uh, you'll learn in Catholicism, you'll learn in Catholicism, for instance, that the Bible, uh, that, that, that the church, as they call the Catholic Church, The church is like a a stool that stands on three legs. So the church is held up by these three legs of a stool. And one of them is the Bible. The other one is the the catechism. The other one is basically the Pope, the papacy. So then what happens? So why do they believe what they believe? Well, yeah, some some of it comes out of the Bible. But what happens if the Pope says, yeah, we're going against the Bible? Well, you go with the Pope in that instance or you go with the catechism. So that's why you get these differences. And it's the same with uh, many of the other churches. If every church would just, this morning, if every church that you know of just just made a decision and said, you know what, going forward, from here on out, we are going to use the Bible as our sole authority for faith and practice. We're throwing out the tradition. We don't care who the founding father was. Even if it was a good founding father, by the way, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to commend Martin Luther for, for instance, is there not? Uh, I mean, there's many heroic things, if you will, about Luther. Uh, but the thing that, one of the, one of the big drawbacks to many of the reformers was the terminology I just used there, reformer, a reformer. What, is re, what, is, what does it mean to Reform. To make new, to kind of uh, do over, to make better. Uh, now here's the question: What were they trying to reform? The Catholic Church. They were going back to this church that has its roots in Roman paganism, and before that, uh, going all the way back to 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 Babylonian and Babel paganism. And he was going to reform. We're going to. This is a good thing gone bad. Was the idea. And that just kind of answers the questions to where there were some things even then, of all the, you know, I mean, absolute heroic things that Martin Luther did in terms for Christianity. It, many of it was, uh, it, it was many, much of it was based on a weak foundation just based on the principle that he really believed the Catholic Church was a good thing gone bad. That is the real church, and we just need to get it straightened out. So that's one of the reasons why you see some of the weaknesses there. But but the point I'm just trying to simply make is this. The Bible is the sole authority of faith and practice. All right, where does that tie into all the rest of this stuff? And and so the answer to that question is, uh, we believe the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. And if every church believed that, we would all pretty much believe the same stuff. There would be differences, but there wouldn't be arguments over baptism. There wouldn't be arguments over salvation. There wouldn't be arguments over, um, you know, I mean, uh, many of these things concerning the dead and where people spend eternity when they die. There wouldn't be any of these debates uh, if people just said, you know what, Nat, we're done with any uh, living founder or living member like the Pope, or for the Mormons, it would be the prophet who has the power to, you know, insert whatever they want to insert at any time, and that's going to be gospel, so to speak. Nope, we're not doing that anymore, we're not going with the tradition anymore, we just want to do what the Bible says. Then we'd pretty much be, all be doing the same thing. Took a little bit of time on that, but I'm just trying to get back around to this point. The Word of God, the Bible, that's how we know. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, he communicates with his church through the Bible. Of course, one of the things that has been discussed recently is the fact that the, the Bible does not give a direct answer to everything that we face in life. And getting, bringing it back into the church, to the local church, the Bible does not address every single thing. The Bible doesn't say what Sunday school material you you, you ought to use. The Bible doesn't say what time you ought to have services. The Bible doesn't say how often you ought to have services. Um, th- there's 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 a lot that the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say uh, how to, um, you know, what your budget should look like. For instance, it doesn't say that. But so what do we do from there? Now, that doesn't mean that that we just got that we're totally lost and we lean to our own understanding. Even though the Bible doesn't directly say these things, we believe that we can study and understand biblical principles for things that we ought to do and maybe look at some other biblical principles for things that we ought not to do. But much of that is decided, of course, within the body, and we can talk more about that later. But just emphasizing that the head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the title of the lesson today is, Where Do You Fit In? Because here's the great thing. If you're saved by the grace of God, you fit in to this local church. And, and, and maybe this isn't the local church you're supposed to be a part of, but you fit into some local church. And, uh, and, and I pray and believe that it's this local church. And since you fit in here, you don't just fit in here to say, okay, wonderful, I heard the gospel, I've trusted Christ, I'm on my way to heaven, good, so now what? Okay, so now until Jesus comes, you just need to come to every service and, and, uh, and warm your chair and make sure somebody's in that spot, and uh, yep, pretty much until Jesus comes, that's what you do, and be sure and give, and be sure and uh, whatever else, right, maybe invite people from time to time. And there's nothing, all that's actually good. I I believe that's a part of it. I believe it's a part of being here and giving and, and inviting people. But the thing that the church, for whatever reason, we've sometimes lost sight of, it's more than that. So where you fit in, you actually have a vital and key role in this local church. And I emphasize local church because... I think it's foolish for the people who try to dismiss the idea of a collective church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus doesn't have 10,000 brides. He's got one bride that's going to make up. But in relation to biblical context, I believe it's very close. It's like 95 to 97. I can't remember the exact number. If you know, you can holler it out. But the times that the word church is used in the Bible how often it is referring to the church at Colossae, the church at Galatia, the church at Elk Point. Most of the time that God's dealing with the church, He's not talking about, you know, the church at large, if you will. He is talking about this church. And you have a vital and key role in this church. You're saved by God's grace. Therefore... You've been gifted. So you fit in here, but where do you fit in? How do you fit in? Does what you offer even matter? And I would just obviously say absolutely 100%. And so that's where I'm trying to bring this around to the idea of spiritual gifts. And we talked a good, uh, some about spiritual gifts last week. We, we cut off a little bit short, but let's go read First Corinthians 12. And I wonder to this point... If there's any questions or comments or clarifications. Yeah, Trey. No, look it up for me. (laughs) I mean, so, uh, and maybe maybe somebody here can define catechism. I know what a catechism is, and really, the definition of a catechism, there's nothing really wrong with a catechism. Uh, there would be nothing wrong with us using a, a, a form, the, the form of uh, catechizing our kids with the truth of the word of God. Uh, so catechism in and of itself is not actually bad, but it's when the catechism comes on equal ground with the word of God. Somebody give me, a, could somebody give me a good definition of catechism? It's kind of like one of those things where I know what it is, uh, but it's almost like what, 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 okay, Emily's looked it up. Okay, so when you put it in, 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 in its most basic definition, that's great. A summary, and, uh, and I'm going to try to summarize that as best I can from memory, but a summary of Christian beliefs and practices that are like put into form of questions and answers uh, to where you learn it, to where you, so you're catechized, okay? Uh, and and we, in, in a sense, we do that all the time. In a sense, that's part of what we're doing in Sunday school. Hey, so what do you think about this? What do you? What's the answer to this question? There's a sense of uh, of catechizing, if that's a word, uh, in this, uh, in, in even in church. But uh, what happens is when those then become, I guess it's really what they're based on. Maybe that's the problem with a lot of catechisms: is that the catechism, catechisms in and of themselves. I think there is a. You could argue there's a biblical form of catechism, but the problem is when you have man-made stuff that's put introduced into the catechism and that's what it is often now how many of you went through any kind of they call it catechism what do you call the class emily it is what you call it right. ccd so from catholicism it's called ccd uh... and there's one of those c's catechism yes catechism uh... okay there you go uh, cd okay yeah uh... <laughs> That's right. Yeah, cuz and if you were if you were brought up in in the Lutheran t- tradition, there's many others. How many as a Lutheran were what, what did they call it, catechism in the Lutheran church or not? They don't call it that, do they? Sonia. Confirmation, yeah. And you got to memorize it. So, again, into the same thing with CDC CCD. Okay. Uh, all right, sorry. And many of you went through these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with with a catechism in and of itself again the problem is is when it's all based on like not biblical stuff right or not not all because they're all of them have biblical stuff in them and there's some things that that perhaps you've learned in your catechism that will be beneficial to you perhaps for the rest of your christian life but there's just some of the other stuff that's put in there to where um anyway anybody want to share uh, anything on catechism emily Yeah, and I know that turns into a problem with it. It's, uh, it turns into going through the motions and so forth. Any other thoughts on catechism? Because many of you have gone through it, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Because what is doctrine, by the way? Teaching. So anytime you hear somebody say, "Yeah, well, they talk too much about doctrine," it's like, "What? What? what? Uh, we we don't we we get together and we don't discuss doctrine." It's like, "Well, what do?" you what are you doing, you know, as Christians, I mean, uh, so yeah, any other thoughts on catechism Share, Doria? Yeah, yeah so, so Doria's saying that she learned all about St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, was basically her catechism, and it probably, it probably di- differs on where you're at and maybe what's popular at the time. What you're going to learn about, I know, uh, I'm sure Sonia will remember, but uh, she showed me some of the, uh, uh, the newer stuff that was being shared uh, and taught to kids, and it is so watered down, what are we learning about here, stuff, that there's a lot of problems with that, that form. I guess the problem is really, what is what are you teaching? What are the questions you're asking? What is the... Things that you're emphasizing there, okay. So we can. Uh, does that answer the question on catechism a little bit? But uh, but the problem is again when this set of beliefs is then put on the same level as the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. So we do have God's Word, and that's one of the reasons why. See, another thing that the Bible that, that the Bible calls the church. The church. This is pretty cool. Think. Number one, the the church as a whole is really cool. Let me say this, then I'll review what I'm about to say there. God said that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. So I'll just back up from that now and just think about this amazing thing called the church. Jesus wanted to do something. Jesus had a plan for the ages. And what this plan involved was a group of people that it it goes all the way back to the course that the church has purchased with the blood of Christ. So Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, he paid for our sins, for the sins of the whole world, and then uh, you think about it, he starts with those 12, we, talk, we think about the 12, but he had many that followed him, uh, there were many, many disciples, there were 12 apostles, but just think for a moment those men, you know, let's include Judas to start with, uh, Judas was not saved, but just let's include him to start with, because he was one of the apostles, by the way, Judas could work miracles. Somebody says, ooh, I saw somebody work a miracle. It must be of God. Uh, Satan works many miracles also. But let's start with this. Jesus says, I've got this great plan. Another thing you might know about, not, may not know about the disciples is that uh, from what I read, and I tend to lean toward this way, that many of the disciples, like John, for instance, John the Beloved, I don't know what you picture when you picture the disciples, um, but uh, John, the, John the Beloved, the youngest one of the crowd, he was probably around the age of 15 years old is what many scholars believe and so many of the other apostles would have probably been still in their teens and then maybe into their early twenties put that into context but even if they were just men we can read in the Bible to see what kind of men they were Jesus says I'm going to spend three and a half years with these men and then I'm going to leave them and and, and the entire the, the, the future of the church The future of society, the future of the world is going to be resting with these guys. (laughs) What do you know about those guys? I know they all ran, except for John, when Jesus was arrested. I know that they were having arguments among themselves about who was the greatest among them. I know that there was at least a couple of them that wanted to call fire down from heaven on some people that wouldn't listen to them, wouldn't receive the message that they preached. I know that about them. I I, I know that even after the the resurrection, Peter was uh, ready to go fishing, was he not? And the rest of the people followed him. The rest of human history depends on these men. Those men. But of course, one thing we're not including there is... The Holy Spirit of God, amen. You shall be endued with power from on high. God gives the Holy Spirit to those that are saved. And that's what happened on Pentecost. But here's here's what Jesus said. Here's what my plan is. This is what's going to save the world. This is going to be the vehicle to communicate my truth. It's going to be the vehicle to bring people to to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to be this thing called a church. I'm going to establish a church. I'm going to call a man to preach and lead the church. I'm going to call and put a pastor or an elder or a bishop or whatever. We just call it pastors in this day and age. But there's many biblical names for a pastor. I'm going to take this, uh, this flawed man like a Peter, like a John, like a whoever else Paul, whoever else you want to say, and I'm going to appoint him to, be, to lead this group of people And this group of people then is going to come together from all kinds of different walks in life with their own faults and failures. And they're going to come together and they're going to accomplish a great thing starting in Jerusalem. And can I tell you something about that early church that's amazing to me? God's grace does not end at salvation. Did you know that? You better know that. God's grace doesn't end at salvation because the church at Jerusalem, Jesus told them, These Holy Spirit-filled, preaching people, hey, uh, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, both, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Got it, got it, okay, Lord. So what did the the, the church do for ten years? Stayed in Jerusalem and wouldn't leave? Ten years they stayed there. And finally, and many of you remember the story, what was it that finally got the church to go to Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth? Persecution. Hey, let me tell you something. Persecution, what's the last thing we want to see in our country, isn't it? Uh, but did you know that God has used it many, 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 many times to further His cause for our good and for His glory? But that's what he did there because it's amazing. The Bible says, and upon the persecution, they were scattered into Judea, into the countryside. And that's one thing I love. People miss. uh, We all live in Judea, if you didn't know that. As far as America is concerned. We live in flyover territory, right? Not not East Coast, not not West Coast. We're just the Midwest or whatever. But Judea just talks about, Judea is not a town. It's an area. It's the countryside. So but just the point is, that drove the church. Or what, it started driving the church into these places. Over and over and over again. It just, it, just think about this. Think about the people. Think about these great men. And think about these great men that uh, the, think about these great men that God has called. Think about Paul and Peter once he was converted. And these great men of God. We we read back and we're like, man, how God used these men. But there was a problem with all these men. They all died. So what did all these men do? They had to pass that message on to somebody else. Paul told Timothy, he said, The things that thou hast learned from me, the same commit thou to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. So just get this into your mind for a second. Jesus started with this initial group of flawed people, flawed leadership, Flawed labors, flawed across the board, and Jesus says the hope of the rest of uh, modern history is based on these people. But, it's through the, but He gave us His Holy Spirit, and He gave us His everlasting infallible Word. All right? So those are the two keys that, that the head communicates with this body, this church of His. But what happened? Paul taught Timothy. Timothy th- taught the people of his church. And guess what the people of his church did? Somebody in that church taught somebody else, and then Paul, tra- then Timothy trained another leader, and then that leader began to be a preacher. And I just just let this this amazes me. I don't know if it'll hit you the same way that it hits me. That guy that Timothy trained trained another preacher, and those people in his church trained some other people, that reached some other people, and that has continued until this morning. Right now, that's continued. And we're a part of it. Because the person that reached you or reached your family, if you were raised in a family of Christians, you know who those people are? Those are people that somebody else reached, who somebody else reached that was reached ultimately by Timothy and ultimately by Paul, if you see what I'm saying. We are a continuation of that today as the body. So therefore, I I, I bring that back around to try to emphasize this. That's why you matter so much. Yes, today depends on you getting in the place where God wants you to be. You have a greater purpose. You have a greater purpose. I have a greater purpose than just spending and living my life as the world and the ideas and the accepted norms of the world would dictate. Folks, number one, if you're here and you're not saved, you are being called by God Almighty to be saved. And if you are saved, his next step is for you to be baptized and to be a part uh, in, in, a, in a key role in a Baptist church, in a New Testament church, in a local church. That's the word I was looking for in a local church. Because you don't know, want to know why? Because the way this church has always gone, and by this church, I mean the church going all the way back to, to, to Paul and the rest of them. The way it's always gone on is by normal, everyday people using the gifts that they've been given by God to be the hands of Jesus. To be the mouth of Jesus. To be the eyes, the the feet, the right on down the line, the heart of Jesus. You are vital. And this is illustrated time and time again. I told you to turn to 1 Corinthians and I still haven't read it, have I? let Let me read that real quickly. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians, verse, uh, chapter number 12. And the Bible talks about spiritual gifts beginning early, very early. That's how the chapter begins. But then you get down here, verse number 12. And he says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body i want to pause right there. That's not talking about water baptism at that, in this verse. Uh, the whole point of getting water baptized is that you've been spirit baptized first. But he says, we've all been baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, listen to this, God hath set the members, every one of them in the body. How? As it pleased him. So you get saved, that's what it's talking about, going back to verse number 12. But then he says, I am setting you in the body. I am deciding, I am gifting you and deciding what your role will be in the body. As it hath pleased him. Now we may not always be excited when we very first hear our spiritual gift and learn what our spiritual gift is. Because as I said last week, a spiritual gift is not necessarily... A uh, is, is not the same as a natural born gift and I try to use the I think one of the best examples or easiest to understand examples can be that of preaching or teaching uh, God calls a lot of people to preach and teach number one how about this he calls people to teach and preach you may not believe this especially with your exposure here but he calls people to uh, preach and teach that aren't naturally very smart may not believe that, but it's true. I, I've not met too many of them, but I'm kind of teasing there. But he does. But not only does he do that, but he also... But Emily, he calls, us, he calls people to preach and teach that don't like reading. Emily and I don't like reading. Anybody else? Well, that's a challenge to be a good preacher and teacher if you don't like reading. And if you have, arguably have ADD or something, that just it's, uh, well, it must not be what God wants me to do. All right. So God calls people like that to preach. He might call somebody to preach that's like that and doesn't want to speak to more than one person at a time anytime. time and barely wants to speak to one person at a time. In other words, God does call severely introverted people to be preachers and teachers. Okay, well, it can't be what God wants me to do because I'm not naturally that way. So the point is that your spiritual gift may, may or may not coincide with a natural gift that you have it may not be god there's there did you know there's a spiritual gift of giving remember the same holy spirit is giving is giving all these gifts so that's why you see it's the same artist so to speak so you can see the signature you know if, if you know art at all you know music at all you could just hear a certain artist Why? Because it's different songs, different paintings, different sculptures, whatever, but there's something similar about them all because it comes from the same author. We're all to be givers. We're all to be evangelistic. We're all to share our faith with others. There's many of the spiritual gifts that you look at and say, well, aren't we all supposed to do that? Helps. Aren't we all supposed to help? Yes, but some people are gifted especially in those ways. But you may not naturally be a giving person. But God begins to work in your heart and teaches you to be a giver. Uh, Teaches you to be a giver or a server or whatever it may be. God has set us in the body. So let's, as it pleased Him. Verse 19, the Bible says, And if, if they were all one member, where were the body? In other words, it can't just all be one thing. But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again to the head, the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which to be less honorable, among we more of honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. And it just goes on that there be no schism, and, and I would love to say a whole lot more about that, but obviously I am limited on time. Uh, you know, I guess I could just keep going, but I, I, I want to stop so that we could get prepared for the next service, but just the point being that you, you matter, you're important, where do you fit in here? You say, preacher, are you going to ask that question or just keep answering that? or just, Are you going to answer that question or just keep asking the question? I guess I, the statement I want to make is that you do fit in here and that you do have a gift that you have been set in this body to perform, 100%. If you're saved, you have at least one spiritual gift, and it is to be used in the service of a local church. Now, that could sound self-serving as a pastor, teaching and saying something like that, but I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says today. Uh, I want to close with this thought. I didn't even get back into the spiritual gifts again, but I'm just trying to lay some principles out here and just discuss some of these things that's on my heart with you. One of the things I want to share particularly, just to close out, I'll just it's something I can give to you fairly quickly, and that's some terminology that's used often in the Bible. Paul uses this term when he speaks about you know those people when you if you read in the New Testament at the beginning of a letter, oftentimes, or and or at the end of a letter, Paul starts naming off all these people. How do you feel? What do you do when you're reading when you get to those sections? I need to listen up. I need to read all of these Greek names, you know, these Roman names here. We don't normally think of it that way, but they're very, very important. God put them in there for a reason. But he calls these people his fellow laborers. And this just describes the nature. This describes the, the way the church is to operate. The term fellow laborer comes from uh, a Greek word, uh, su- su- uh, "sunergos." Sooner goes, and it just means a co-laborer, a companion in labor. But the reason I share the word with you is that it comes, that that word, sooner goes is where we get the word synergy from. Our English word synergy comes from the same word as fellow laborer. And what's the idea? It's the synergy of the body, the way the body just works together. Uh, you know, if you've got a body, some of, there's, uh, there's people in our church that have like autoimmune diseases, right? To where the body attacks the body. That's a miserable thing when people have those things. We've got a number of people in the church with different autoimmune diseases. Uh, that, you know, and that since it's, um, you know, white blood cells attacking a healthy part of the body or whatever. It's just, it's just the signals are crossed. But that's not a healthy way to be. Because you think about it this way when it comes to the church, when it comes to the body. Anybody ever got a splinter in their finger? Uh, you know or something up in your fingernail how many times have you done that and you said that stupid finger how many times have I told you not to go that way against the grain of the wood you know I knew you were stupid I knew you were worthless you're not near as good as my right finger is you always do something no you get the little tiniest thing. I remember this years ago. I was just helping Chad with a rail or something. And, and man, you get, get a little something in your finger. Man, it's, you know what? It's emergency, right? It's like, I mean, I'm dropping everything. Oh, my gosh. And my whole body comes to the aid of my stupid little finger that probably should have been watching where it was going, but it didn't, but it doesn't matter. i got to get this finger looked at. I got to get this checked out. And, and you ever notice people that get hurt? I, I, I try to. I try to think of, of having a decent tolerance for pain. And my, you know, I was raised to be a tough guy and all that. So, so when I get hurt, I just try to keep on going. Oh, Jesse, you bleed. Oh, it's fine, you know, and just keep going. But a natural thing to do. Usually, when you get hurt, you watch, you watch somebody that gets hurt. They hurt their finger. I see it with the kids all the time. They hurt something. They'll just be. You'll be talking to them, talking to them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Them a little bit later keep checking on that looking at it you ever notice that somebody has an injury somewhere and they just keep they keep checking on it they keep looking at it anyway i don't need to go down that path because that's that's more on the body but it's, it just shows you the synergy of the body that word fellow labor comes from the word synergy that's what paul called the people that worked with him and the cool thing about it is a fellow is a mark of equality it's a mark of equality uh, another word that he uses, uh, sundulos, which means the servant of the same master. That's the term used for fellow servant. Fellow laborer, it comes, we get the word synergy from that. And then the word fellow servant means the servant of the same master. And again, it, what it just emphasizes is that the work of the church really is the work of the body. One reason that Bible teaching and preaching is so key is because we're trying to get out there, we're trying to communicate the brain of Christ, the, the, the knowledge of Christ, to infuse the body and to communicate with the body about how we ought to live and, and breathe and, and, and treat one another and treat those without and, 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 and deal with certain situations that we face in life. God's Word, Jesus is the head, and He communicates through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit of God. And so it's just an awesome thing to think about and just put into perspective that we are the work of God and we are, we are here for this time. You are here for this time. And I think the challenge can be is, number one, to feel like you're insignificant, that, you know, yeah, okay, sure, I'll show up and it's nice and I enjoy the services and whatever else. Uh, that, that, that's fine. But what I want you to understand is it's a lot bigger than that. You really do fit in to God's plan. You fit into God's plan for this age. You and your family. And it's just simply saying, you know what, I've been gifted in a way. I've been gifted by God. I've been set in the body, and and here is how I want to be able to glorify God. And the great thing about it is, is that'll be the stuff that we take with us when we go to stand before the Lord one day, you know, uh, that which we can take to heaven with us is that which we've done for the Lord. Um, and, you know, one of the things I, I've worked on, I mentioned this last week as well, but I've been trying to put together because one of the things that I believe it's my job to help do is to help people find where they fit in, where they can serve, where they can say, you know what, this is something, I, re- I really want to be a part of this. I, th- I think I can help in this way. Um, And it's not an exhaustive list, but I've got, uh, oh, I don't know, about 15 things or so, uh, 15 different teams, if you will, that are just opportunities that you may fit in, that you may fit in, and that where you fit in may not be on here. But it's just a few things I wrote down to maybe try to help people, because what I want to do a great job as a church of in 2023 is really helping each of us to take our next steps to take the next step. And I've been so blessed. Some of the new converts that we've had in just recent months have told me, "I want to t- I want to take the next step. I want to do whatever whatever the next thing I'm supposed to do, I want to do that." And it's and it's it's our job. Remember, the way this church has been perpetuated and by this church, I'm not talking about point Baptist church. I'm talking about the church going all the way back. It's not just by the preachers. It's by those in the church that can say, number 1, it is the job of the preachers that somebody invested in me one day, so then it's my job to invest else and i don't even if you are an introverted person i bet there's one person that you could invest your life in to try to help influence number one to bring them to christ and then number two to help them grow in christ and help them find their place in uh in, in the fulfillment of just living a life that glorifies god and fulf- purpose for which god has placed them on the planet for it. so anyway uh i know it was a little scattered i guess because i was just basically giving you some, some of the thoughts from my heart on that but uh, anything we got to say before we dismiss this all righty god bless you thank you so much and we